0: this is the church planting podcast brought to you by the broadcast network broadcast exists to support train and encourage church planters for more information about who we are or about the training that we offer please visit our website at www.thebroadcastnetwork.org
1: hello welcome to episode 157 of the broadcast podcast We're starting a new series on the pod, which um, I've got Tim with me. He will explain it in just a minute. But if you want to know more about broadcast, you can head over to our website at thebroadcastnetwork.org. You'll find courses and articles and all sorts of videos for church planting and uh, mission and church leadership. So head on over to the website at some point and take a look. But Tim, you you gave me a call last week with an idea for, for a new series on the pod. Why don't you tell everyone a little bit about what we're going to do over the next few weeks?
0: Hi, thanks Tom. Um, so I want us to think about how the church comes out of lockdown and um, we want to call this um, series Unlock and very simply just to ask that question, what, what do we need to do as a church, particularly in the UK, uh, what, what do we need to think about uh, when it comes to how we come out of lockdown, what lessons do we need to learn um, and what vision and hope for the future do we need to to have or, or how do we get there? Um, everybody seems to agree that lockdown has changed society uh, and on a kind of on a very very deep level, uh, but nobody quite seems to understand how and I'm not sure we're going to know really how. Um, perhaps until we're completely out of it and the dust has settled and then we can look back uh, and try and understand but i think um that can breed kind of a, um you can kind of freeze feel like a rabbit in the headlights in a funny way uh, especially church church leaders think about what do we do next whether uh, thinking about returning to in-person services or not able to do that yet and thinking about what life will look like when social distancing is gone perhaps um some of our mission initiatives that were have now disappeared or, or whatever it might be but really thinking okay how do we come out of lockdown and how is this um how are we learning the lessons that there are to learn and how are we going forward with purpose i think is really what i'm wanting to get at uh, so this week just for the first week I, I think i want us to to ask the question about what the questions are <laughs> so uh, really i think to go forward, to have a vision, to have some purpose and direction, uh, to have a bit of a plan and a strategy, you perhaps need to have understand what you've been through uh, and what uh, questions um, have arisen that you need to answer. Uh, and very simply, like the first one that sprang to my mind is what has lockdown told you about your model of church, your kind of way of doing things. Um, and just as a, a kind of a brief summary of thought, when lockdown first kicked in, I, kn- I knew numbers of church leaders, uh, and my friends included, who were saying, oh, we're getting so many people watching, more people are watching now than have ever watched church. And they were putting a lot of their effort into the presentation and the tech uh, and all of that stuff, which was very understandable. And then a month into it, the question was, where have all of those people gone? We had lots of people, but now we've got much less people, and uh, we don't know where our committed people are, where they aren't, and uh, and perhaps the bit the the churches who were used to bigger gatherings on Sunday and maybe one big gathering uh, seem to swing between those two points, and um, sometimes week by week, which looked exhausting, um, and and so. But my first question is. Uh, And Tom, perhaps you can offer thoughts on this: Is what has lockdown revealed about your church model?
1: Yeah, it's a great question. I've noticed the same thing with um, there there was that initial high on numbers. Um, I think that was true across the board for all churches. But yeah, it didn't take long before people faded. And there's that question, isn't there? Of then, do those people ever come back? Like, are, are they just lost for good, or do they come back when? when things open up and i suspect they're probably not going to come straight back and um, model wise i mean the way we do things um i presume a lot of the the listeners might know we, we're multi-site and we tend to get quite small on the sites mm-hmm. congregations 40 50 people uh, in each place uh, and i think one of the things that, that that model has helped us with is the the pastoral covering that we we have there are site leaders who really know everybody and when people haven't been kind of sided into the zoom calls that's noticeable it's one name off a list of 40 not one off a list of 300 missing it's noticeable that they're not there and and uh, there's, there's a phone call there's go for a walk and um, I, I think it really has brought pastoring to the fore that's I, I think one of my big reflections so we we've prized a lot of Teaching and uh, apostolic ministry—we've we've prized music and production and video and th- these are all good things. But there's something really simple and really important about pastoring, shepherding, being in people's lives, and making sure they're all right and walking with them. And I, I wonder if it's exposed in some models uh, a bit of a flaw there, like where pastoring's been been outsourced and then and through the cracks a bit Uh, i don't know if you you've seen the same thing
0: well yeah i mean i found myself wondering whether um and this is a huge sweeping statement but what's a podcast for if it's not for making huge (laughs) sweeping statements is whether um bigger churches and i think in the uk i would perhaps put that at churches of more than 200 uh, in probably in one meeting um whether they have whether that has been a bigger struggle I think, wonder whether the smaller you are because of how you staff you tend to staff first with pastors um, and then they tend to be a little bit of a um, uh, kind of a, a box-to-box midfielder they do lots of things um, and perhaps aren't specialists and so you wonder if those sorts of churches perhaps have done a little bit better because more people pastor and pastoring's more in the center of Um, of your your staffing maybe that that's been one of my as as i've observed whether i wonder if that's been how it's worked
1: yeah yeah i think i could well be right um i remember like early on in lockdown when we were thinking what are we going to do there's a real decision before us that didn't take us very long to make but it, it could easily have been that when we went to online we we centralized everything and did one really good online thing and We decided not to do that and we were going to keep it localised, even though there wasn't a location per se. I think that really served as well, actually, keeping it um, lots of people empowered, lots of people owning it, lots of people involved, uh, community more than presentational. I I bet we could have done better quality had we done centralised, but wouldn't have had the same effect
0: No, that's right. I mean, we'd have had to spend a lot of money on upskilling uh, numbers of our staff to be able to, um, which would have just taken away from the pastoring, like you said, and the people time that needed to happen. Um, so, yeah. Yeah. Very interesting. Uh, the, the other question I, I wanted to ask. So if you think what has lockdown revealed about your church model um, and the other one that feels kind of the in a funny way, the most urgent question that I would want to ask every church leader in the, in the country, if, if I was allowed, is um, how are your young people doing? And by young, I mean 16 to 25. Um, and because I think, that, you know, like you were saying, thinking back to the first lockdown, the decisions we made, one of my assumptions was young people will find this easy because they can do the tech. <laughs> that was one of my... So I just thought our 16 to 25s um, would find this very simple. Um, because they're so used to living in that way. Um, and actually, uh, I think the opposite was true in the end. I think we um, was uh, we have, like you said, Tom, multi-site, and I kind of lead two of those. Uh, one of them is um, more people my age, more families, uh, probably a bit more diverse demographically, uh, and they coped brilliantly. Even the ones who weren't technologically able, um, that once they learned how to press yes on zoom they were there every week whereas our younger people university students um people who just graduated just absolutely struggled massively with being at church on zoom uh, hugely and genuinely very surprisingly so that would be my big question I, I don't know if you do you have any thoughts about that tom particularly why that might happen
1: um yeah i mean it's an interesting thing i had the same expectation that you had that um, people who are digital natives would adapt to it quite easily. Um, I think part of it for for people like me during lockdown, my life got more full, more busy, and harder to fit everything in because I've got kids who were no longer going to school. I was having to juggle my job and then homeschooling on top of it. It felt like um, there was a struggle there around too much and. Talking to other people, and often this this was more the case for younger people. They're not exclusively. The problem was the opposite. It's that there wasn't enough in life. Things that they would normally be doing had been taken out of life, and nothing was really filling the gaps. Some were furloughed from work as well, weren't allowed to go out. So there was just this sense of loss around everything. And tuning into a, a an hour on Zoom, where essentially you're watching people talk and sing but not really connecting much doesn't fill that void um yeah I mean, that was a, a big thing for people and also in terms of like community and connection i live in a family home and th- there are people around and if i want to go and do some quiet work finding a space to do it isn't always easy but there's plenty of people and personal connection whereas for people who are living alone and again that's a lot of younger people uh, or, or maybe living with uh, one or two housemates who have got kind of their own things and jobs going on there's a lot of isolation and yeah. the the zoom thing it adds to that so i think a lot of that feeds into why it's been such a struggle for people
0: yeah yeah it's uh, it was fascinating to watch it play out actually thinking that the number of uh number of people who clearly lost their community in ways which i really didn't appreciate so i i mean me and Vicky, my wife, reflected on this week, same as you, Tom. You know, you live in a house with people, and actually, it probably didn't affect our social life as that much. We couldn't have people around, which we missed doing. We couldn't go to people's houses, which we missed doing. Um, But the kind of that was all an organised social life, whereas I, uh, the 16 to 25s we have, have a much more active, spontaneous social life. Get home from work, text some mates go see them almost straight away, which isn't the life that I would lead. But that was totally ripped away from them. So the sense of loss um, is quite something.
1: Yeah, one of the questions that I was thinking to ask was, what, what's different about the world that we're going into and people living their lives now compared to what it was post lockdown? And like, a couple of the ideas that, that I had as I was thinking about it is, I think people are living now more locally than they did before. Um, So even when workplaces reopen, I think a lot of workplaces are expecting a a kind of hybrid model of work where people will be in the office some days and working from home some days. So rather than everyone uh, going into city centres and uh, commuting into offices, there'll be a lot more work happening locally, um, which will mean a lot more people are eating locally, going to coffee shops locally, uh, going for a drink after work locally. And um, yeah, I I wonder if um, the model of having one place that everyone goes into might not match the reality of life that a lot of people are going to be living in. But uh, if people are used to doing life locally, then local church and local sites and planting into communities, I, I wonder if that will be more called for than ever before and building in in that way and just another different thing I've noticed is um, people have been incredibly versatile over the last year and changes have been happening every month or two at pretty short notice and people have got used to rolling with change Uh, and I wonder if um, the flexible adaptable uh, habits that people are in might make it easy for church leaders as we want to pivot and do stuff differently to take people with us. Um, I don't know what your thoughts are on on those points.
0: I mean, the localism one is really interesting. I and mean, as you were talking, I can't help but wonder. Just just thinking about what you were saying. Um, the, so, for the likes of me and you, we think about home working because we've done a lot of that, and it's absolutely true. My I would get to Manchester City Centre once a week usually and, um, you know, we'd go out for dinner there as well, go and see bands in the city centre. So it was a kind of important part of life and I can't remember the last time I went into the centre of Manchester, maybe, I think I've been once in a year. So um, so that would absolutely be true. But I think for um, the people who n- could never work at home, for the people lower down the kind of economic scale, actually that localism, I'm not sure, gets played well gets played out in the same way as it would for us so i think that's a it, it, there's a certainly an, an affluence element to it um which is worth thinking about i've also wondered about the i said really good whether people will think i need to want to go to local church i want I, yeah i want that uh, or, or whether the opposite happens actually people are, i'm just desperate to go and do something exciting and interesting um i mean i was talking to a, a guy who leads a, a in a church of about a 1,000 people chatting yesterday. And he was talking about... It's a very similar thing, though. He's saying, I don't think people are going to want the big meetings anymore. I think they're going to want things that are smaller, more personal and all of that. Um, And, you know, more intimate, more relational, um, which there is definitely an argument for. But the other side of it is I'm desperate to go and see a band with lots of people there or a big football match. Uh, And actually, those big crowds kind of things are there will be nervousness, but I think people will, that people will go even though they're nervous because they want to go back. Um, And I do wonder with church actually, whether, whether the, those sorts of habits, I'm not sure it's easy to predict what the reactions will be. And so thinking about how church comes out of lockdown and processes that stuff, it might be easy to make decisions assumed on what we think people will do as opposed to what they're actually doing. (laughs) I'm not sure. It's, I think it's going to be very hard to predict how it affects the movement of people in that way. What, what do you think, Tom?
1: Uh, yeah, I think I certainly agree that from this vantage point, working out exactly how it will go, we'll probably guess and we'll probably be wrong is how it will uh, work. We had lots of assumptions going into the first lockdown about how people would react. We talked about some with the younger people and it didn't play to expectations. So... I think being ready to um, pivot, ready to change. Um, yeah, I, I think in terms of the big events, I think I'm I'm excited about going to them once. I've not done it for ages, so I'd like to do it. Yeah, but I do think I've learned, I've learned lessons about things that I thought helped me. I don't actually need like I was um I was always the sort of person who got a buzz from other people being around even if I was working I'd, I'd want to be in a coffee shop working rather than at home yeah. and I'd prefer to be in a coffee shop in town than a local coffee shop just because there was more people I could see traffic and people on the streets and that energized me for work the last year has reformed habits that Whereas I'd get up and think, right, I need to go to that. I, I, I can do stuff from home. And so I think I'm less likely to do it as often as I did. I think it'd be more, uh, now and then I'll do it if I want to change of scenery, if I want a break. Um, but I think as well, like I've been finding um, people who've been working from home, which I, I get your point that it's not everybody, but uh, people at church who've been working from home, have been available at times that they wouldn't have been previously on their lunch break they're now there they're just around the corner from me we can go for a walk around the park and meet up and uh, and chat and the the connectedness locally if there are a greater percentage of people who are living in the in the area of the church gathering and in the area of the community I, i think it could spark different kinds of things that we can do different meetings different Pastoral or discipleship situations that it could just be quite interesting to see what's possible that's different before i um, another question uh for you just what what do you reckon the mood will be three months from now what What do you think people will be wanting and trying to get more of in life
0: hmm. yes is uh, yes. There are so many different factors. So three months from now it's March, April, May, June. Um, yeah, so if we're assuming that we are much closer to kind of um, all social distancing gone, um, you do wonder what the, the spring forward and then the pullback is afterwards, don't you? So whether whether actually there's that moment of, of freedom and, 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 uh, and happiness And then the questions that come after that (laughs) it's, it's really hard to know, isn't it? I mean, I think there's a society has a, a, we have a kind of a a spiritual state, don't we, as a, as a people group often. And, um, what we look to as things that are important, um, to us, and like our, our desire to go shopping and to be, to consume and to socialize, um, our desire to be with family, all of those sorts of things, um, are kind of uh, vital parts of our, you know, they're almost points of I don't know how to say it, a point of worship. It's they're really important things in our culture, and so you wonder whether actually you, people charge back into those things, and that whether it reveals emptiness and um, a bit. Yeah, so I'd, honestly, couldn't tell you what I think the mood will be. I think there are so many varying factors on it, um, and you do wonder what the, there will inevitably be setbacks i mean there will inevitably be another surge somewhere and so there may be local lockdowns again or just and and how we deal with that as a people be i'd be interested to see whether that plunges us to new lows or actually whether you like you were saying we actually become much more um resilient to these sorts of things and and cope um better than than we have previously i don't know why Wait, you, you're leading somewhere what do you think
1: um I wasn't overly leading, um, just reflecting on it. I I, I think it'll be a big range. I I bet there are people who, as soon as they're allowed to do something, will want to do as much of it as they possibly can. So pubs are open up. There'll be people who are in the pub every night for that first week, uh, just because they haven't been for ages and they want to be. Um, And you'll get other people who are very cautious, I think, who, even though we're allowed to do things, are choosing not to and will reintegrate at a much slower pace into society so i think being ready for we might have ideas of we're we're allowed to do such and such a social such and such a meeting Mm -hmm. in-person church for example not everybody even though we are running in-person meetings wants to come to them and so figuring out how do we serve people wherever they're at on that journey um we 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 need to take care of people who are more cautious we need to make sure that we we're running with people who are ready to do stuff as well um so holding that balance um i think food is is a huge part of the mood for uh for this year like when i think about what do i want to do this year um there, there are things that i'd like to go to that i haven't been to for ages but but mainly, I just want to hang out with people and have barbecues and eat food. And I'd be well up for doing that every weekend over the summer. And I don't think we need to be too fancy in what we program. Like, people are ready to socialize. And um, and if we can facilitate that, even if we don't get everything right, I think we'll be serving people pretty well.
0: Yeah. Yeah, No, absolutely. Very good. Very good.
1: Cool. um do you have any other questions that you reckon are good ones for us to be asking
0: i I was thinking the <clears throat> perhaps as a ch- as church leaders to honestly as you look back on the last year to assess the damage and the fruit I think is what I was thinking um so to and to think I mean for me I took there's a, a little bit of looking at my own walk with God my own heart what the damage is what the fruit is uh, and looking at church as well, what, what the damage is there, what the fruit is. And and I, I think uh, CCM, Cross Church Manchester, has uh, weathered this um, pretty well, actually. I think just because of our, our model of being small, um, multi-site, um, that leads to us doing all right in this context. Because of the decisions we made early on, like you said, to drive it to the pastoral, not to... Uh, not to the presentation, um, which w- was right for us, not necessarily for everybody. But thats um, I think that as a church, we did okay. But there's always there's always damage in these things. There are just, there's always, when a when big thing like this happens. So I, I think there are some relationships which will have disappeared because of lockdown, which will struggle to come back. Um, I think there'll be some people who will have um, left because they couldn't cope with Zoom and may not come back. Um, and it's quite easy to be a bit dogmatic and say, well, perhaps they weren't ever proper Christians in the first place, which I think is hugely unfair. I just think we've no idea what goes on, but I think that'd be one of the things. And I think that the damage I think that us as a, as a church in this country need to think about is that what it's done to millennials at church and Gen Z, kids who are still at home with their parents and thinking about going off to uni or leaving home in the next few years, actually, what not going going to church has done to them and uh, we I think we in kind of the narrative of um, kind of church life and kind of church leadership often that the importance of attending on a Sunday has been played down I think actually over the last few years we it's not particularly fashionable and we even create church models which say so you don't have to uh, as much but I, I think we reveal that that loss of routine uh, actually is really very detrimental uh, i think um so I think assessing what the damage and what the fruit is uh is vital actually to be honest about that uh, what do you think
1: yeah i no, I think it's a great question um, it seems quite early to do that uh, I think the damage is probably easier than the fruit to be honest like we can look and see some things now that like like you referred to people who who've left or like dropped out of it that's quite easy I, I wonder if there'll be other things that five years from now we look back and like, wow the way we viewed this and the way we approached that changed quite profoundly due to lockdown and COVID and we didn't really see what was happening at the time um, and on the fruit as well there'll be I mean, again, there's easy stuff. Like we're seeing, we've done online alphas that people who are miles away from Manchester have logged into, and yeah. we've seen people come to faith through them. So there's some obvious fruit. But again, there'll be lessons that that God's teaching. Uh, was it um, David Devonish, I might be misquoting, who, who said it's easier to see what God's doing in hindsight than in the moment? Yeah. that's so true, isn't it? Like I was reflecting like what has god been saying through covid and i've got some early thoughts like things we've been talking about in this conversation but it still seems really early to get our heads around what god's done through this whole thing um that's
0: interesting i tried to talk david Devinish into doing some podcasts on what he thought was the implications of covid were and this was Pretty early on, it was like April, May last year. And he said exactly that. He said, no, it's far too early. I'm not doing that. <laughs> Which, I, you know, I thought I was a bit boring. But actually, he's, he's absolutely right, I think. Yeah, it will be maybe years after the event, we'll truly understand it. Mm. It was interesting. I saw there was um, a graph that came up on Twitter um, about um birth rates. And uh, I can't remember what country it was. I can't remember, but but where birth rates effectively nine months after the first lockdown had gone down massively, you know, like huge dip in birth rates. And then all these jokes about how in about five or six years time, there'll be empty classrooms uh, in primary schools. And I remember when one of the, the online jokes at the time of lockdown, when it first came, was that. Birth rates were going to go up significantly.
1: Yeah.
0: <laughs> it's a bit like a blackout in New York, afterwards the birth rate would go up. But um but actually, with the anxiety and the stress and the the unknownness of all that was going on, uh, what that did to um, to kind of families and family planning, even just saying, oh, well, I I know that I'm going to have this job and we'll buy this house, then we'll try for kids, and all of that gets blown out of the out of the water. Uh, but we don't know. We those effects aren't being seen until now. So you do wonder, actually in what we look at the church in and whether there's a bit of a missing generation potentially, whether there is a gap in the, in the age range. Um, So I'm dead keen to see usually in um, September time, we get a a run of students in Manchester that, uh, you know, start signing up to church and, uh, and I can usually have a reasonable guess at the number that we will get. And most years that's pretty accurate. And I know other student workers in town who would say similar things. They see effectively, if you do the right thing, similar numbers every year. Um, but you I'm dead keen to see what, over the next two or three years what the implication of that is, of, of kids who've been at home, of GCSEs and A-levels have been screwed up, who've had to sit at the kitchen table with their parents doing the work, the, the kind of tension that that brings into family, the non-attendance of church, the loss of youth groups, all of those things, what effect that has. Um, and uh, I think, with the loss of big um, big youth events like Soul Survivor, which kind of finished a couple of years before anyway, um, but also the the other big youth events that were planned this all of that stuff were gone, and I think those i, I don 't think we fully understand the implications of that, and uh, probably the problem that us church leaders are all a bit old, so we don 't tend to notice it as much but it 's potentially huge, i think potentially huge so
1: yeah, yeah it could be absolutely massive um, hmm. I mean the other dimension in that uh, again the hard to judge how it will play. But what is it that often leads 16, 17-year-olds away from faith? And a lot of the stuff that they might have been drawn away into, again, that stuff wasn't open, and being around the home more rather than that might might keep some in as well as um, the lack of youth groups take them out. Like yeah. It's quite a complicated picture, really.
0: Yes, it is. No, you're absolutely right. Absolutely right. Maybe time with parents and... Maybe families pray together more. Who knows? Yeah, absolutely. Who knows? That's yeah, very interesting. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I've got one more question just to um, think about. And I, I put it like this. What what sacred cows has lockdown made you lay down? And if so, what, what do you want to pick up again of the things that you've laid down in lockdown? And what can you live without? And to, to kind of give an example of what I'm thinking about that, I... Like, for myself, I remember quite early on in lockdown, we talked a bit about online communion as a as a thing, and um, I leaned straight into theology in, in arguing it, and I, I was against the idea. I didn't think it was something that I particularly wanted to do. Um, a lot of what communion is about, the physicality of the elements, was was an important part of it and so i i had kind of big reservations about it in the early days but as time went on i just realized we we're not doing communion and we're we're told to in the bible and my principled theological view and the the practical necessity of the circumstances the the balance on the scale shifted a bit um which is an old jesuit thing really is to to let the the choices and principles be determined by the practicalities of the moment. Um, and it just made me think if, um, if you'd have told me a year ago that I would be all in favour of online communion, I wouldn't have believed you. But lockdown shifts and, and adds things that we just thought were non negotiable become negotiable. Um, is there anything like that for you where your thinking has just been shifted by the circumstance?
0: Mm. That's it. Uh, just, I mean, you're what you're saying about communion. There got my brain firing. Alone, you know, my own sacred cows that you've realised. I mean, I, it's none immediately spring to mind in the same way as you. There, I think my thinking has been massively altered on on some things. Um, I, I think the, I think uh, that how the church uses social media and the internet. I think I've, um, I've moved a load just in my own head in the last year on what's good and what's important. Uh, I quite call it a sacred cow, particularly. Um, so, But, I mean, what you're saying about communion there, I mean, uh, how we work things out when there is pressure in life, as opposed to when there's easy things in life is a fascinating thing, isn't it? I mean, what you're saying about communion there might be a whole podcast, but how um how actually when times are good and simple, it's quite easy to be idealistic and to have very strongly held views because they're not tested, now, which would be true for anyone. But when pressure and difficulty comes, all of these things are, are, are tested. Um, so, I mean, I think the, the sacred cow of the everything all your meetings must be in person. I think uh, we, everybody knows that you can't, there'll be no going back to that, I think. And mainly because we've realized there's so many good things we can do now, more people turn up online. Um, so, but no, not in the same way as you, I don't think there, Tom. Um, but I am now, going to think about that quite hard.
1: <laughs> yeah, sounds good. I, I think like, with these, we talked about doing a, a series of conversations over the next few weeks. Um, We'll do another one next week and uh, talk about some, some other stuff. Did you have something in mind you wanted to bounce around in the next conversation?
0: For next week, I, I want us to think about why um, Sunday gatherings matter. Why why the in-person Sunday morning, Sunday evening matters. Uh, and actually, uh, I think we were drifting away from that ideologically, I think as a church, for maybe 15 to 20 years I remember talking to a friend of mine who planted a church and he said, "Um, Tim, my great mistake was telling my core team at the beginning that Sundays didn't matter very much. That actually being with their non-Christian friends, if they had an opportunity on a Sunday, they should do that instead of church. And he said, I always have regretted it, always (laughs) regretted it. And it wasn't just a... It wasn't just a nuts and bolts, I need the rotor to run. He just realized actually the spiritual significance of it and the discipling significance and the, the actually the mission element to it as well. Um, and I think having been forced online, that really helps you, makes you look at, actually, why is our Sunday meeting important? What about it is important? I mean, even some of our people, as we reflected on doing in-person services where you have to boot people out after... Uh, 40 minutes they can't talk to anyone all of that stuff you can't really sing out any of those things they they were questioning whether there was any point in it which is a very valid question so um i, I think next week we will look at why sunday gatherings matter
1: that sounds great i'm looking forward to to that conversation and um, if you've got ideas on any of the unlock stuff that we're talking about or sundays or any of the things we've talked about today Why don't you head over on Twitter and and tweet us at BroadcastCP? We'd love to hear your thoughts as well, any questions you've got, or anything like that. Um, Or head over to the website, thebroadcastnetwork.org, where there's loads of content on there. But other than that, we'll see you next time.